So tonight, I wanted to answer three questions. Originally, when we had the Menti board up, I saw the questions. There were three answers that got three votes each. And originally, I'd picked two. And I thought, these two kind of gel together. They work together. These are going to be two questions that have synergy. And I can answer both in one night and give you a nice two-for-one special. And then I looked a little bit further at the third one, which had also three votes, and realized that also needs speaking about. So it's a three-for-one tonight. So the questions are, am I required to read my Bible? How do I make time for God in a hectic life? And do I own my own faith? Now, that video, it's from a film called The Kingdom of Heaven. And whilst I'm not directly linking to it tonight, I want you to keep it in the back of your heads. There's a quote in there which I think will pay dividend as we go through tonight. A king may move a man, a father may claim a son, but remember that even those who move you, if they be kings or men of power, your soul is in your keeping alone. When you stand before God, you cannot say, but it was not... It, but I was told to do thus by others, or that virtue was not convenient at the time. That will not suffice. Remember that. And quite literally for this talk, please keep that in the back of your mind. Now, let's go on to our first question. Am I required to read the Bible? Now, please listen to this answer in full, because you're going to really like the first half. Am I required to read the Bible? No. Short, simple, no. You do not have to read your Bible. You do not have to pass a Bible exam to get into heaven. There's no like desk chairs or anything along those lines. You, there is no exam. But we really, really need to know what's in the Bible. Without knowing what the Bible is, that says, and I mean truly knows what it, knowing what it says, we are easy to be led astray. The Bible tells us what God is like. It tells us about his love for us, about his character, about his passion. By reading the Bible, we gain a clear picture of what God is actually like. So, how many people in this room can name a promise that is from God? Go on, John. Uh, if you deny me, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Yeah. Anybody else? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. There's a lovely website here with lots of them on. There's loads of them in Isaiah, in fact. Let's scroll down to another one. <laughs> if, you lack, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who, give, who generously gives it all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I could go on. There's literally... A Bible full of them. These are God's promises to us. And knowing them helps us push back the lies that the world would tell us. But it is not enough just to know a handful of verses. Uh, Lucy, could you whack up Matthew 1, 11 to 14? Uh, sorry, 1 to 11. Matthew 4, 1 to 11, please. I apologize. Mark, could you read for me? 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So the first thing that Jesus is he's in the desert, he's just had no bread, no, nothing to eat for 40 days, 40 nights. He's a bit hungry. One of the, possibly the greatest understatements in the Bible. I get hungry if I miss a meal. You can tell. But the first thing the devil does is he tempts Jesus with the sin of pride. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers him with scripture. Next, the devil quotes scripture to Jesus. The verse that the devil uses is true. It is a word from God. But Jesus knows that God is not a puppet. That he can, he's not, God is not a puppet at Jesus' beck and call, that he is not there just to perform party tricks. God is all-powerful, and we should respect him as such. If you find yourself in a situation where you are falling from a very great height, God may choose to save you. But if you purposely jump off a really big building, it might not end so well. Right. If, you, you, if you treat God's miracles as a party trick, I just don't think it ever ends well. What I take away from this passage is that it is not enough for us to know Scripture. We have to understand it. We have to understand the context of where it comes from, to understand its true meaning. The, will, the devil will and does lie to us. He tells us that we are nothing, that God does not care what happens to us that God does not love us, in fact. And the devil will use scripture against us. He will take passages out of context to mislead us. He'll try and trip us up, and he'll try and stop us coming before God. Now, if we know our Bibles, truly know our Bibles, the context of the scriptures, and the overarching ethos of the whole scripture, then it becomes a lot easier to resist these lies. When you feel inadequate, remember that God leaves the 99 and comes and rescues you. When you feel that you do not have the strength, remember Isaiah 40, verses 30 to 31. Even youths grow weary, sorry, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. 
but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Scripture is our main weapon in resisting the tricks of the devil. But a weapon that you rarely train with is just a gift to your enemy. And this leads me, very nicely, to my second question. How do I remember, how do I make time for God in a hectic life? Now, quick show of hands. Who here struggles to find God? Uh, Sorry, who here struggles to find time for God in their life? I mean, let it be known for the recording, he tried to put all three limbs in the air. Four limbs. So, pretty much everybody. I am no different. I really struggle to find the time to spend with God. I always seem to have far too much going on. I always seem to just, if I ever manage to find time to spend with God, it's always at the last end of the day as a task I want to get ticked off, not as something I actually look forward to. Now this topic, to my mind, has made quite a regular appearance. I've spoken about it a couple of times, and we're going to carry on talking about it because it's a really important thing. I am not good at making time for God, and I can blame it on a hectic life, but that's just a convenient excuse for me. Recently, I've started reading my Bible more, but it's at the end of the day. I mean, I brought my stuff with me now, hoping to get half an hour to be able to read tonight's passage. That didn't work. So I'll be 11 o'clock tonight, I'll probably be reading my Bible after I've done my whole day. Doesn't seem like the right way around to me, but it's the way I do it every day. I am reading my Bible, but if I'm being honest with myself, it's just as an exercise. It's not as something that I look forward to, not something I actually want to make time to spend time with God. The thing I've come to realize is that nobody's going to be able to force me to do this. This is a, like, friends can encourage me, family can encourage me, but nobody can force me to actually spend quality time with God. That's completely on me. But like any new skill, the more we practice, the easier it becomes. Now, a few years ago, okay, closer to five years ago, let's be honest, I mean... I started running, and I was really good at it. Well, no, I wasn't. I was absolutely shocking at it. My wife and a friend went out for a run, and I decided to tag along. And it was absolutely brutal, that first run. I ran from my house up towards Tasley, and I didn't get out of the 30 zone of Bridge North before I was dying on my feet. I was just... It was... So disheartening to see how unfit I had become. But I downloaded an app called RunKeeper. And RunKeeper, part of it, it logged my progress, but it also sent me a reminder. Originally, it was, initially it was set to every three days. And then as I got better, I upped it to two days. And every time there was a reminder, I went for a run. And I began to see changes. I began to be able to run further and for longer without nearly dying each time. 
And I love this new sense of strength and power that it, it gave me in my body, that new sense of self-reliance I had from it. But during this time, I kept coming back to a quote from one of my author, uh, favorite authors, which Lucy's just going to play for us now. He'd be home in time. Would a minute have mattered? No, probably not, although young Sam appeared to have a very accurate internal clock. Possibly even two minutes would be okay. Three minutes even. You could go to five, perhaps, but that was just it. If you could go to five minutes, then you'd go to ten, then half an hour, a couple of hours, and not see your son all evening. So that was that. Six o'clock, prompt. Every day, read to young Sam. No excuses. He'd promised himself that. No excuses. No excuses at all. Once you had a good excuse, you opened the door to bad excuses. He had nightmares about being too late. I kept coming back to that line. No excuses. Make it, you know, if, if you don't do it for a very good reason, a very good excuse, you open the door to a bad excuse, and your standards just start to slip and slip and slip. And this character just wasn't, going to prepare, wasn't prepared to let that happen. So I ran every day. Every day the runkeeper told me to, I ran. No matter what day I'd had, I ran. No matter what it was like outside, I ran. One time, I went running after eating a full English breakfast, because it was the only time I could fit it into my day. Another time, I went running at... I don't know if it... 11 o'clock, half past 11 at night? Down the lane, in the dark, mainly black running kit, white trainers. Dawn was very worried for me. And that's because I'd helped a friend move house all of that day. And I'd got home at 10 o'clock. But runkeeper said I had to go for a run. So I went for a run. I forced myself to never miss a reminder. It was a priority for me in my life. So perhaps the simple and painful truth as to why I don't find time to spend with God is because it's not a priority. The great irony of all of this is my wife will complain about not having enough time to do her artwork. And she is up to her eyeballs in artwork. And I will quote to her, there is time in the day for the things you want to do. It's a mantra I've kind of got stuck in my head, and I firmly believe it. There is time in the day for the things you want to do. I like living in my house. Therefore, I find the time to go to work because you know I've got bills to pay. And as I was sat in the engineering office a little while back at work, they had a little page-a-day little calendar, and they had a little quote at the bottom. And at the bottom of that calendar, I found a really poignant little quote as well, which goes very much hand-in-hand with the, my own mantra, which is, if, it's import- if it is important to you, you will find a way. If not, you will find an excuse. And I think this leads us very nicely to our last question. Do I own my own faith? Now, there's a little bit of a... I wasn't entirely sure what the person meant by this question. I have made honest efforts to try and find the person that asked the question. So if you're here tonight or listen to the recording and this isn't what you meant from the question, please seek me out, talk to Lucy, talk to anybody, and, or just re-ask it, and we will try again.
but I have taken this question to mean, am I responsible for my own faith? And the simple answer is yes. Nobody else is. It is your faith and it's your responsibility. Your faith is about your personal relationship between you and God. Can we have um, Ephesians 6, 10 to 17 on the screen for me? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. talks about faith like a shield. A shield to block the arrows of the evil one. The lies and the accusations that we face. Whilst a shield can be used to protect other people. I'm being nice to you today, Joe. <laughs> it is more often than not used to protect ourselves. It can be able, we can use it to protect others. But our own faith... And our shield, we have to have our own faith, our own shield to be able to help and protect other people. We can't rely on other people's faith to shield us forever. We have to stand up for ourselves with our own faith. And it talks about the sword. For the word of God is the sword of the spirit. That the sword of the spirit. Now, what good would these do me if I did not train in them? A weapon that you do not train with is a gift to your enemy. We need to train with them together in union to become effective, to be able to fight the devil. Remember what it said in verse 12? that our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness in this world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our fight is not against people, but against this world. Be warriors of God. We have to train. The sword, we need to spend time reading our Bible daily to be able to know what it truly means, to be able to fully rely on it, to be able to trust it in that heat of battle. And our shield, we need to build our relationship with God so it holds firm and holds true. We need to train with them both at the same time. Make no mistake, we're in a spiritual war. 
And we are responsible for our own faiths. Right at the start tonight, I played you a clip from Kingdom of Heaven. Handy medieval film with a sword and a shield, really, isn't it? But I want to remind you again of that quote. A king may move a man, a father may claim a son, but remember that even though when those of power move you and put you into situations, your soul is in your keeping alone. When you stand before God, you cannot say, but I was told by others to do this, or it was not convenient at the time. That will not suffice. And I don't want to stand before God and go, well, I didn't find the time. So, tonight, I would like to end tonight's talk. I'm going to put these down because I can see people are a little bit worried. <laughs> Don't worry, John is a pacifist. I'm going to leave them with him. Pacifist in the worldly sense, not in the spiritual sense. I'm just going to give him a nice little... Uh... <laughs> so, this is going to feel a bit weird, a bit uncomfortable. So, can everybody turn around, face outwards? Because this, this moment now, is not about you, sorry, it's not about us as a whole, it's about us as individuals. And I want us to all think about this as individuals. I am going to end tonight's talk by playing an audio clip. And then there'll be a time of quiet with instrumental. And during that time, I want you to honestly reflect on your personal relationships with God. And where needed to, ask him to help. Today we're going to learn one lesson. You may not need this lesson at this moment in your life, but there will come a time where you need to hear this lesson. 1 Samuel 30 verse 4 So David and the troops with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no strength left to weep. The scenario is that David and his troops are returning back to Ziglag from a fight, only to find out that their families have been taken and there is a bigger battle to come. And this situation is so relatable to each and every one of you in the room today. Life is a fight. And every single one of you is in the middle of a fight, fighting to get the bills paid fighting to finish school, fighting to keep your marriage away from divorce, fighting to go to work, fighting to get a promotion, fighting traffic, fighting to raise those kids, fighting to even come home at times, fighting for your health. And what you and I both know about life is that life does not fight fair. When you're in the middle of fighting for your health, boom! Your car breaks down and there's another bill. Life is a fight. This is where David is in his life. He's in the middle of battle after battle after battle. And at this point, David's men had turned against him and were ready to stone him. He was at the brink of giving up. And many of you today are at the point where you're about to give up standing on the edge of failure, where hell has thrown the kitchen sink at you, and life has drained you of your resources, and where people that promised you they will always be there have left, 
at the point where David was, many of you are today. At this point, what did David do? David encouraged himself. His wife wasn't there, his children wasn't there, his commanders and his generals had left him. But David encouraged himself. At a point in your life, you will have to encourage yourself. Your mama won't be able to do it. Your daddy won't be able to do it. Your pastor won't be able to do it. You will have to stand as an individual and talk to yourself. I am a child of God. I will get through this. This will not stop me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Nowhere in the Bible does it encourage giving up. Everyone around David had given up and people around you will give up. You need to have the understanding that they're not built like you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When the going gets tough, the child of God gets going. When the odds are stacked against you, when hell is coming in for the kill, when retreat looks like the only option, when it looks like there's no way you'll be able to win, when your back is against the wall, encourage yourself. Because at this moment, that's when the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob moves into action. His strength is made perfect in weakness. At the point you're about to give up, at the point where you are tired, that's when the Lord's strength comes into play. David encouraged himself.